Hey everyone, and welcome to the God and My Girlfriends podcast, where we talk about how to nurture the most important relationships in our lives, our relationships with God, our friends, and with ourselves. So join us, won't you? Hi everyone, Marsha here. I'm so happy you have joined us today for the podcast. Today's show is a little bit longer than our usual episodes, but I just couldn't edit it down any shorter. The conversation was just too good and too important. Um, my guest this week is my friend Stacy Frenis. Stacy is a Christian singer-songwriter, an author, and a speaker. She's spent the last 25 years singing and leading worship in churches all over the country and at Christian conferences and women's retreats. She built a successful recording career, releasing 10 albums of original music and landing multiple film and television placements, including America's Next Top Model, The Biggest Loser, and Nashville. In 2014, Stacy wrote her first book called Flourish, about how to cultivate a life in which our unique gifts find their full expression. Her most recent book, which is what we're going to talk a lot about today, reflects a season of deep, profound changes in her faith and family life. The book is called Love Makes Room, and it's a memoir about coming to accept and understand her daughter's gay orientation within the context of her deeply rooted Christian faith. I'd like to say one thing on a personal note um, about our topic today, which is learning to better understand and love our friends and family well that are in the LGBTQ community. I wrote a blog post about two years ago called Loving Better, My Journey Towards Becoming an Affirming Christian. I'll link that blog post in the show notes for anyone who's interested in reading it, but it explains how I came to my own decision that being gay is not a sin as I was taught it to be, and that all my gay and queer loved ones are deeply loved by God just as they are. But this show is not about my journey, it's about Stacy's. so you can check out that blog if you want to know more about that. And one more thing, if you are a member of the LGBTQ community and are listening to this show today, please know that I'm still learning how to be a loving advocate, and my heart is honestly digging in. But that being said, I may sometimes say some things that just come out wrong or feel awkward. So I just ask for grace from you today if you hear anything that feels hurtful or painful. And feel free to message me if you can help correct me in a way that can be helpful for me. I am listening. Okay, enough about me. Go grab a cup of tea or a glass of wine and sit back and join me for this engaging and inspiring conversation with the wonderful Stacy Frenis. Hi, Stacy. Hi, Marsha. I'm so glad you're here. I am so glad to finally meet you. I know. We've been, our, my dear friend Rob Harris started telling me about you Um gosh at least a couple of years now he, he was like you know I just have this feeling that you need to meet my friend Stacy y'all would just you'd be like two peas in a pod and I was like I would love to meet her and then we connected I guess on Instagram or something one of those in fact I was just telling someone this morning when I was explaining you know where I was coming I was like 
Marsha is one of those people who I feel like whenever I encounter something that she's posted or had just read or just seen online, I go, oh, I was just thinking about that, or I just read that book, or I just saw that movie or had that thought. I feel like we're like on this sort of parallel trajectory and we just haven't met in person yet. So I'm thrilled. I feel the same way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, okay, there's someone else on a similar path. And and before we started taping, you and I were just even talking about other life situations um, that Mm -hmm. we've both been experiencing lately and so i do feel like you're a kindred spirit already even though i feel that too this is the first this is the first podcast we're actually looking at each other in person it's the first podcast that i've taped that wasn't online so this is fun we have a bunch of cords and recording equipment here on the dining room table but we're making it work i love it um there is so much i could talk to you about today i do want to get quickly to this amazing book that you wrote. But before we get there, I always start with the same question on the season one of this podcast, because I've already told everybody a little bit about what you do. I want them to know a little something about who you are. So can you start today by telling our listeners one thing that you would like them to know about Stacy? It can be silly, it can be serious, whatever you want it to be. That's such a great question. Thanks for giving me that chance because I feel like one of the things I want people to know about me is that I'm uh, I'm funnier than I I sometimes come across. <laughs> like I can be I can go really deep and serious so fast that I sometimes forget like okay, lighten up Stace, you know, and I do have that funny part of me that loves to laugh. Oh. Um, my husband is my funnier half by far, but at the same time, I feel like I I want people to know that right away. Like, listen, I, I know I write stuff about that's kind of soul level, deep heart stuff, but I can laugh at dumb stuff with the best of them and I'm all down for that humor stuff. So that would be, I think that would be my thing to say. That's <laughs> awesome. I, I That's kind of, I think I told you a minute ago when I was reading your book, I was relating to you and your husband the way y'all interact it's the same thing with my husband my husband is so funny he's quiet like at first you have to get to know him but then he has this wicked sense of humor and he knows just when to insert it (laughs) in those times when it's kind of heavy you know Mm -hmm. and he knows how to just bring because laughter is so important right agree and I've always, I, we've told, I've told all the kids, I said, marry someone that makes you laugh. Yes. It is so healing right. at times. Like, Amen. Right? Mm-hmm. But I'm like you, I want to go, hey, I'm funny too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but for whatever reason, I don't lead with that foot. Yeah. Whereas like my husband or other people that feel really, I guess, comfortable in their own humor can lead with that foot. And so that's why it's fun to just say up front, well, I do enjoy a good laugh. Yeah. (laughs) I love funny people. I love, love, love them. Me too. Okay. Well, first of all, let's talk just a bit about your background. So um, you live in California right now. But did you grow up there? I didn't. I was born and raised in Grand Forks, North Dakota, among my Swedish and German ancestors. And so um, I I come from kind of farming people in North Dakota. And um, when I was 12 or 13, I guess, my my family, my my parents 
um, decided they were done with North Dakota. They wanted to move and, and just really turn the page and start new, start fresh. So they moved to California. So I was a 12 or maybe 12 and a half or so when we moved to California. We moved to the San Francisco Bay Area. And because I spent all my teenage years and all my adult years there, I consider myself a native Californian. Although whenever I go back to the Midwest, which I do sometimes, well, quite a bit to St. Paul, Minnesota area, because that's where my co-writer and record producer lives. Um, I'll go back there a couple times a year and I acclimate really quickly. <laughs> I become a Midwesterner again. It's so funny. That's that's funny how that happens. What was your religious faith background? Yeah, I was raised like many people in the Midwest, I guess, at least in my circle. Um, Lutheran, went to church just on the holidays, Easter and Christmas, but there wasn't really an emphasis on personal relationship uh, with God until, and then when we moved out to California, my, my parents kind of got caught up into a um, sort of a charismatic movement. And we ended up going to this little uh, kind of offshoot of an Assembly of God church, which is where I even understood or was offered the invitation of a personal relationship with Jesus, which happened when I was about 13 years old. And so from that point on, we we went to very um, conservative, Christian, evangelical, almost fundamentalist churches, which most of which stayed in kind of the Assembly of God kind of vain, mm-hmm. um, got married in, uh, in the Assembly of God denomination. My husband's parents were ordained as Latin Assembly of God preachers, Wow, um, which is wild. I mean, it's, it's even a more, I would say, fundamentalist sort of mm-hmm. strain of the, of that denomination. So definitely stayed in that, in that real evangelical conservative Christian lane, um, up until, yeah, my forties. And you are a singer-songwriter. That's been your main career through the years. And a lot of your music was faith-based, correct, Christian? Right, yeah, for sure. My awakening to my own gifting really came around the same time as my spiritual new birth, if you will. Like, I really didn't even understand that I I could write songs until I became a Christian. And, and I wanted to find expression for this sort of new life kind of bubbling inside of me. Oh, wow. And it, it turned into journaling, poetry, that kind of stuff. And then it sort of lifted off the page in melodies. And I learned how to play piano and guitar when I was 13, 14, all within that same age where both my gifting and I think just my spiritual understanding was beginning to grow. Mm. So yeah, most of my songs have been based around just what God is doing in the world and in my heart. And so singing about that. So as a result, most of the stages I've been on and really have been my bread and butter have been these evangelical churches and women's events and retreats and worship leading. And so that's kind of been my world for the last 25 years. Wow. Mm -hmm. So you were, I'm guessing most of your friends were in that world. I mean, your whole community was all within the evangelical Christian community, right? For the most part, yeah, for sure. And and certainly all of my um, my career network as a musician and songwriter and worship leader. And you're still doing that. I just this morning listened to your new song, When the World Slowed Down. Mm. Such a beautiful song. I mean, I just Thank got you. chills. Mm. Do you have the album done yet? Not yet. That's um, we're working on that EP right now. Yeah, 
That was the first kind of song we released because it was so just timely with yeah. the pandemic. And um, so we released that as a music video single. I watched it. Yeah. It was beautiful. Oh, cool. So well done. And I just, I could tell it's like you're still feeling what's going on around you and you're using your, your creativity yes. to process it yourself and then help other people process it, which is definitely what we're supposed to do with our gifts yeah, from God. I that. So I love that you're still doing that. They say you could hear birds in New York City for the first time in years. Listening to a clip from Stacy's latest single, When the World Slowed Down. It's a beautiful song inspired by the 2020 pandemic. There's a powerful video to go along with it, too, and it just brought tears to my eyes when I watched it. You can find this video and more about Stacy, her music, and her writing all on www.stacyfrenis.com. And now, back to the conversation. So when did you start feeling like you wanted to write uh, write books? Well, I I wrote a book in um, about twenty, so around twenty thirteen or so. I started writing a book about creativity and the process around which we, um, as you were just saying, how we use our gifts and kind of what does that look like for different people in different mediums and different arts. It was fascinating to me. And it, it was also a time in my life when there was a lot of turmoil going on in my personal, emotional life. And for a season, I didn't pick up my guitar. I didn't sit down at the piano. It was a good several months. It was um, a lot of kind of storms hitting at once, um, including the one I later wrote about in Love Makes Room. But my dad had been diagnosed with, with cancer and was he was diagnosed with a, a very quick um, passing and we were going through a, a loss of our home from the housing market crash all these kind of storms happening and I found that I don't know about you Marsha with songwriting but you know oftentimes songwriting is kind of a treasure hunt you know you go deep down looking for those nuggets of truth that you want to bring out into the light and talk about and sing about and I just found like I couldn't go deep diving. It was so painful. Mm. It was there was so much that was going on, so much turmoil in my soul as a result of these things going on in my life that I thought I can't write for a while. I, can't, I just can't even go there. I can't look at it. And of course, you know, it, you can't do that for very long without it starting to bubble to the surface. And so, all that to say, um, 
I picked up the guitar, started playing music again, and it and it just kind of rushed out of me. And as I witnessed kind of my own self feeling the healing of that, I thought, okay, there's a book in this. There's a book in this whole idea around how we sometimes put aside our gifts thinking that, oh, I can't deal with that right now because that's a side thing. That's just not really essential. And then we find that, that that very expression that we need to grow and live and thrive and nurture is the very essential thing that we need to be doing. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I wrote the book Flourish during that time, self-published it, learned, just kind of learned the ropes of what it even looks like to write a book and to self-publish it and kind of market it on your own. And it was a really cool experience. In fact, I ended up doing a lot of events where I would do sharing and teaching around the themes of the book and then weave my music into it. And I loved them. I did a lot of women's events that, that were flourish events based on the themes of the book. I love that. Yeah. Um, that's another thing that we have in common is as a heart to serve women and help encourage them mm-hmm. in so many areas of their lives. So this book, uh, this really amazing book, I'm so glad that you sent me a copy. I dove in and just couldn't even believe how connected I felt to a lot of your story and a lot of your words for, for different reasons. The book is called Love Makes Room. And other things I learned when my daughter came out. I love that subtitle (laughs) because, as you tell in the book, you did learn a lot about about yourself, about your faith. Mm -hmm. Um, It kind of shook everything up, didn't it? It really did. Um, Let's talk a a minute about uh, your daughter, Abby. Wow, what a brave girl to um, allow her story to be told. I mean, I love the connection that you have with your daughter. You can see how tight you guys are in the book and that she trusted you with this story. She has been absolutely supportive all all along. And one of the things that we have kind of negotiated through the process of writing it is this idea that, you know, when, when you're writing a memoir about a particular kind of just season of life or incident, you only really have your own perspective to tell you that's really all you can own right right at the end of the day and so there were times when i would just hit this wall where i would think oh i just this feels so very um almost invasive to my daughter's life and we would have these conversations where i'd say here's how i perceived that incident or here's how i kind of saw that happening and and i understand it it wasn't the same for you Um, but for my book, this is kind of how I'm seeing it. And I would send her chapters and she would read them and, and I'd say, is this okay to say? And she'd say, yeah. And so all along, it's kind of like, I feel like, like this is a glimpse into a story that's really not even my own Mm. and yet it is my own. So at some point, you know, if Abby wants to tell this in a full on book or whatever, it would be a whole different book. It would be her story, but I remember hearing, um, I don't know if you know who Danny Shapiro is. She's written, um, she wrote Inheritance and some other, she's a really great memoir writer. And I heard her say one time that with memoir, there are times when you feel like you're the person outside the door and you're hearing what's going on inside the room, you know, Mm -hmm. on the other side of the door. And you may think that you can't say anything about what's going on inside that room, but what you can say is how it felt to be standing outside that door. Mm. And I think there are, in some cases, that's how this book is. It's like, 
there's this sort of big piece of it, which is, well, this is Abby's story, but there's also this other side that says, this is how it feels to be Abby's mom in that story, Mm. you know? And my husband could have written his own and my son could have written, you know, there's all these angles, right? Right. But yes, it has been a precious gift to me for her to say, yeah, I get how this story could help other people. Go ahead and tell it. Yeah, and she trusted you with that. Right. I, I think that that shows a beautiful part of your relationship, and I love that. How old was Abby when she uh, came out to you? So Abby was 16. She was a junior in high school. And, um, yeah, I, I know that there are some moms who who say they saw signs or saw signals or clues. I just didn't. And that's probably because I was just in this kind of bubble of, well, that doesn't happen in families like ours. You know, mm-hmm. I just wasn't even looking for it. I wasn't, it wasn't on my radar anywhere. Mm-hmm. And the way she came out was through a breakup. You know, she was just kind of heartbroken and she was, I was driving her to school one day and she was crying and I had no idea it was a breakup with a girl. And I, I, you know, I asked her a few questions about what she was upset about and she was being particularly quiet and that just isn't really my girl. You know, <laughs> she's a talker and she will <laughs> tell you everything and then some if you ask her how she's doing. So um, I knew something was up, you know, and I knew it wasn't just a normal breakup. And so it, it just was this line of questioning that got more and more tricky and painful and I just kind of, my mother's intuition started to kick in and say, something's wrong here. And I remember I I pulled the car over and said, we need to talk about this because something's really wrong, I can tell. And I'm not gonna drop you at school this morning until you say it. And, um, you know, I remember at some point in the conversation, I was just kind of grasping at straws and thought I had reached the mother of all questions when I said, well, are you are you pregnant you know and just like (laughs) that's our always our biggest fear right that's the big fear and um when she said no i thought well where do i even go from here i don't know what else this could be and um and yeah then she said well for starters my heart is broken and she cried and then i thought it was a boy and i tried to ask her about what boy and so that led to me you know finally saying is this about a, a girl like and yeah, it just came up from some deep, almost the gut, you know, of the mom that just says, this is the last possible way this could go. And sure enough, she nodded, cried some more. And and, and in that moment, I, I feel like I kind of split almost into two people. You know, I kind of went into, of course, as a mother, my daughter is despairing and crying and I'm going to give her a hug and let her know I love her no matter what. Mm-hmm. And, but the other side of me just honestly did not know what to do with this information. I didn't know how to file it. I didn't know where to put it. I didn't know how to process it. It just felt like this kind of cold fog of terror that was filling my heart. Cause I, I just thought, what are the implications here? I have no idea, you know? Right. For her, for your family, for, for you, for everything, for right? everything, for, yeah, everything. Yeah. It, it, it it, I feel like it bounced, it ping-ponged everywhere. It was for her eternal soul. It was for 
her future as a young woman what would her what would it look like who would take care of her who would you know would there be children would there be grandchildren in my future would there be how could I tell my church friends how could I it was like all these mm-hmm. questions just kind of like barrage you know right away and um yeah and I just remember that day ended with just that kind of just this huge question mark in my heart but thank God, I, I keep looking back and thinking, thank God, I, I at least in that moment, I was able to let her know that as her mom, I was there for her and loved her, and we'd get through this, you know. That's so beautiful. What about your, your husband? Um, did you tell him or did Abby tell him? She wanted me to tell him. I remember that, that day uh, we, we came home. She didn't go to school. She was just too upset, and I was rocked. We came home, she went to her room and and just fell asleep. And I called him, he was at work. And uh, I said, you know, I I think you need to to come home, we need to talk. And so I I ended up telling him and he, and again, his initial response was to, to love her, to hug her, to cry, to say it's okay and we love you. But then um, his process just went on its own kind of trajectory. He, he, it took him longer and in different ways to fully come to, to terms and to accept it. Uh, he had a lot of questions. He had a lot of, um, you know, one of the first ways that he kind of interpreted it was that somehow he had failed her. He had done something wrong in her life because why in the world would she not want a man? Why wouldn't she want a man in her life? He thought that was a way of in some way or another saying, dad, you know, you, you failed me. Um, of course it wasn't what she was saying, but we didn't know that yet, right, you know? Right. Um, and you, so you go through all of those emotions, you know? Uh, I know one of mine was similar. One of my initial emotions was I did something wrong. I must have done something wrong to, yeah, I, I messed something up in her, in her upbringing, in her formative years somehow, you know? Um, it, those were all the initial questions. Mm. What were your first, what was the first thing you did to kind of help you process it all? Did you talk to some friends? Did you go to a counselor? Did you go to your pastor? Like, what was your first uh, first step with that? Oh, what a great question. I, I, um, I kind of did a mental list of who I felt even that I could call. And, and it was a very small list of people it was um i knew i really knew that um my church friends and the like the network of folks that i would call if say she had been in an accident and gotten hurt it was not that group of people it was not people who would bring casseroles and start a prayer chain you know like i i knew that right away even before i knew why i knew it but um, there was this sense of immediately wanting to sort of hide it and be secretive about it because I knew that my the people in my Christian friend circle would just not know what to do with it. And so I chose like two very dear, dear people in my life. One was my sister and one was just this heart friend that I had had forever. And I called those two people um, within a day of finding out and just so two women basically and just sobbed on the phone with them and talked through it um 
that helped a lot. And then I did go on the internet, I have to say, which is sort of the, the place we all go to when we're not sure who to talk to and what, you know, find some answers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Dr. And, Google when you're sick, right? Yeah. Right. Um, which, as you can imagine, was just, it was everything that, you know, it took me down a jillion rabbit holes. And I felt like, Eventually, it was helpful, but you have to really have the stomach to get through a lot of weirdness and crazy um, information out there. And what I found, of course, is that there are as many opinions and diverse thoughts and arguments for and against and whatever. And none of that was helpful to me in the moment. I, I just needed like, and I think this is one of the early times where I recognized that as community, as faith community, we weren't showing up for each other in the right ways when this hit. I thought, ooh, this is one of those things that um, I can't just go to my people. I can't go to my pastor. I can't go to my... And um, I had a couple of initial conversations that ended up just in this kind of brick wall of, well, you know, we'll pray for her. And I knew knew that what that meant was, boy, we sure hope she changes because... If not, you're in trouble, and she's in trouble. Right, right. Pray for her soul. Pray that she changes. Pray that, yeah. Um, And I'm sure, and I think you do write about this in the book a little bit, like there was a little part of you at first that, that kind of thought maybe it was just a phase. Maybe it wasn't real, like a little bit of denial. For sure. Oh yeah. I and also this is someone who this child had been through all the, you know, goth, punk, skater, yeah. you know, all so the things. Like, oh, it's just another phase. She's just trying something out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and thought for sure it would just be something two weeks later she'd be like, mm, it's not really my thing. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. And I think we held on to that. I held on to it a little bit longer than probably was healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was in those conversations with other Christians that I began to recognize sort of the toxicity of holding on to these hopes for her to change. Mm-hmm. And because I recognized that that would then color my relationship with her, my talks with her, my the way I prayed for her, um, the way I saw her. I didn't want to see her as broken or um yeah, it, I didn't want to see her that way. I wanted to see her as whole and beautiful and an unfolding young woman. And, you know, all the things you want as a mother, you want your child to be um, happy and healthy and flourish. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, none of that, none of those desires for her changed. And so, yeah, I think early on, that was one of the shifts my heart made was just like, well, how as a mom could I not want? You know, could I not see her as perfect just as she is, you know? Um, and there was also just experientially living with her day to day was such a, was such an eye opener for me, having come from this tradition in which um, you only saw this concept of homosexuality as sin, wrong, abomination, perversion, all these words that kind of come up, you know, for you when you mm-hmm. first encounter it. None of that was played out. None of that was living out in the real day-to-day life of my daughter. And I, that's when I began to realize, well, something's not right here. Something of, of what I was taught or absorbed in my religious, spiritual background is not 
like syncing with reality here. Mm -hmm. I have some dear, dear friends that are gay and uh, several years ago started trying to do my own research, trying to like, okay, wait a minute here. The pro I'll use the word programming. The programming that, that I had for years growing up and everything was all based on the clobber verses, right? The clobber right. verses in the Bible. And, but it was beyond that. It was, uh, you know how people take the most extreme example of something they don't know about. Yes. And decide that that is what it, the whole thing is. Yep. Um, we talk in, in, when I do women's retreats with God and my girlfriends, I talk about how the importance of diversity in our friendship circles, mm. like finding people of other faiths or other skin tones. or Because if you don't have a personal relationship yeah. with, um, let's say, a Muslim, then you might have this um, stereotypical programming about what they all are. I'm using, right. I'm using air quotes. Um, same thing with uh, somebody that's of another ethnicity. Mm -hmm. um, so it was the same thing with when I thought about gay people, I had this vision, this stereotypical vision in my mind that had been implanted by things said to me in the church and, and in my church communities. And it was uh, a little scary, you know? It's like, oh, those are not us, you know, the them and the us. So we have to be really careful. We pray for them but you don't want to like hang out with them or anything. And then I started becoming friends with these amazing people that were gay. And I was like, okay, I've got to, this isn't computing in my head. Right. These aren't the people that I've been told for so long that are going to hell and that are sinners. I mean, you know, it's yeah. like all these crazy stereotypical things that they put in your head. So as I started getting to know them, I started doing research too. Mm. And I'm sure that's where you were at this time. You're like, okay, when you're in relationship with somebody that is experiencing something different than you're used to or that has been taught to you is wrong, you got to just dig in, right? You got to do the work. You do. And you do. Um, I, I mean, you talk about this in the book so much about how you just dove in. And I'm sure it was a little at a time. I'm sure it was over, I don't know how many years it's been now since that she came out. That's a good question, actually, which I like to kind of say, which is she came out 10 years ago. Okay. But I began writing the book five years ago. So I'd say the the whole kind of process of it took about five years. Right. You know, um, and, and a lot of that was, which I discovered, was not just sort of the church programming, but also cultural programming. Oh, yeah. You know, um, in my generation... Well, first of all, I because I grew up in such a kind of a tight conservative circle, I just I didn't have any gay friends until probably my thirties and mm -hmm. um and maybe later. And it was <laughs> Well, you probably had gay friends, but you just, I just didn't, didn't know. know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's how I was. <laughs> so true. Um and so yeah, so my exposure was so limited, my understanding was so limited. And like you, there were all these kind of buzzwords around it that, that were just triggers to, to fear, to mm. ignorance, mm -hmm. to um, biases that I didn't even know I had until, you know. And, and then, like you say, when you're in a relationship, and then the very unique relationship of a parent to a child is even kind of more fraught with, for me anyway, fear of, you know, her getting pulled into this lifestyle um, 
again, I'm using air quotes yes, because right. I had this idea that gay people, LGBTQ community lived a certain way that, and oh, my daughter was not about to live that way. So I was going to make sure to keep her from that. And I remember just being overly, you know, wanting to know everywhere she was going, wanting to meet her friends, wanting to just kind of vet everybody out, you know, to make sure she was in a safe place at all times. Cause she's still a teenager and I'm still raising a kid. Oh, right. Wow. Yeah. Um, and, but of course what I discovered was they're just human beings <laughs> like me and her. And I can remember when she was, um, 19, she, she's a singer songwriter as well. She's a musician. Oh, and, wow. Yeah. And so she, um, would go to these open mics and has been had been doing them since she was like a junior in high school and so one of these places of course this is after she came out um was a lesbian bar and like if you had ever said to me that i would darken the door of a lesbian bar you know 10 years ago <laughs> i would have really fallen over with just shock and but i thought you know it was it was during that time where i was determined to get to know her friends and her spaces in order to just for my own peace of mind to know she was safe you know mm -hmm. and so i was like on a reconnaissance mission to like sort of go and check out these what i thought were going to be just like really seedy dark you know spaces that were full of full of bad people and I walked in that door and I'm sure everything about my, my appearance and everything said, you know, hetero Christian mom coming through. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But I sat at a table and just hung out with these just generously, just beautiful young women who were generous in the sense that they reached out to me in my awkwardness oh, and included me beautiful. in the conversation. And, um, you know, I listen to them talk about their life and school and their careers and their their relationships and their parents and just it just I could have been anywhere listening to young people talk and recognizing, you know, my body just began to relax immediately and I thought, wow, have I been wrong about Mm. people mm. and you know like you say you just that whole s and them thing just melts away when you're in relationship with people absolutely i remember at being uh, in a church that i was attending for a, a little bit and one day in sunday school uh, somebody raised their hand and they they were talking they said you know i i'm so distraught because i think my nephew is gay and you could tell she was shaking like she was it was if she had said i think he has cancer right right and she said i mean i mean looking back we, we i can kind of see you know signs she says but um you know i think he's more and more coming out with it and i just don't know how how do i how do i handle this what do i do mm -hmm. and you could sort of sense this whole kind of like, you know, the whole room was like, oh my gosh, how do we walk her through this? And wow. and I was kind of looking around and I, I sort of raised my hand. This was at the point in my spiritual journey where I was starting to get bold enough to go, wait a minute, mm -hmm. <laughs> this mm -hmm. is not right. And I, I, I raised my hand and I was like, hey, does, does, is there no one in this room that has like gay friends or anything? Because I, I do, I have wow. a lot of gay friends, you know, and, um, and I realized that they really didn't. Wow. They they weren't in relationship with gay people. Yeah. And so it did feel like an us and a them and like how do I love somebody? They were paralyzed by it. Wow. Yes. And it wasn't too long after that I started thinking, I was like, okay, I'm gonna start 
digging into this. I'm going to start doing some research. I'm going to start looking into um, the original Greek and Hebrew words in the Bible of what homosexuality, what it's been translated now into different things. And and I started reading as much as I could, and I started. And I'm sure this is you were probably yep. going down the same thing. Yeah, I I did. It began to be um, almost an untenable situation. Like I had this sort of public life where and my career where every weekend I'd be out singing in churches and in these spaces where I knew very well what the church doctrine was and what pretty much all the folks in that church believed about, you know, my daughter. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in 2015, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of gay marriage, you know, and I, again, it, it was sort of a Facebook moment for me too, because around that time I saw just these vitriolic, comments and conversations going on around that event right Mm -hmm. christians just coming up with their righteous anger right and i remember feeling all of those comments like a personal punch in the gut and going okay the i cannot be quiet anymore about this and i have to speak and i i I wrote a a blog post thinking well what's the best way to say this you know and it's not going to be in a meme it's not going to be in a quick post i'm going to have to kind of dig in a little bit Mm -hmm. and i did i wrote it i wrote a blog that just said what i what i learned about love when my daughter came out and in it i just kind of laid bare just this this idea that you know when your child comes out you recognize that there is no us and them there's only us and you you understand the humanity and the complexity of this of, of, of the human beings behind the topic behind the label and you know i just kind of said i i can no longer have this chasm between myself and my daughter between myself and lgbtq people um so just kind of laid it out and put it up on my website, put it up on Facebook. And it went, it went as close to viral as anything I've ever put out. It, wow. it really got like hundreds of shares. Um, a friend of mine posted it to the HuffPost religion website. It, there it got thousands of shares. And I ended up getting just a, an, just an amazing influx of messages from just a lot of Christian ministry people saying, this is incredible that you have said this out loud, that mm-hmm. you have said our story out loud that we can't even talk about because we fear losing our jobs. But, you know, my nephew came out, our daughter came out, our, you know, we don't know what to do about our daughter being out and us being in ministry. We can't talk about it. Like, it was like I opened the doors of the Narnia world and saw a whole world of not only LGBTQ people, but their families who are hurting in this world, in this world of Christendom, because they couldn't talk about it and couldn't just say, we're going through this, we're working through it. Mm -hmm. And um, I think in that moment, sort of the opening of the Narnia wardrobe, when I realized that our family wasn't an isolated incident, (laughs) that there were so many families going through this and who had, who just had had no support system in their own churches and had no one to walk them through this process. And that's when I, I, it was in 2015 actually that I sat down and first just outlined the idea around writing a book. And, uh, 
it took me, you know, the, the ensuing five years was both finishing the book, getting a literary agent, getting a publishing deal, and then waiting for it to be released. So it feels like this interminable amount of time. And I'm so excited that the book's finally, you know, ready to be out oh, in people's hands. I know. I know you've got to be so excited. It's going to change lives. I know. I know the book is going to change lives. It's so beautifully written. What resources were helpful in your process of coming to terms with and really affirming your child as gay. Yeah, I, you know, I mentioned that Google search early on mm -hmm. that led me to just so many things. I, I think it was just following, following sort of the love trail, you know, where is this thing spoken about with love and with kindness and with complexity and not in black and white terms of it's just wrong, it's a sin. It, you know, all of these things I'd sort of grown up with, I, I began to just develop uh, just kind of a discernment around which folks were walking through a journey of trying to understand it at a deeper level mm -hmm. and which were just ready to write it off at the, well, the Bible says, yeah. and therefore. Um, so part of my deep dive was into books like God and the Great Christian by Matthew Vines, who oh, yeah. really just takes such a deep theological dive into the clobber verses. Um, a book like Unclobber by Colby Martin, who takes it, um, those same verses and just in really plain English spells out, this is what it really says in the translation. And there really isn't conclusive evidence to suggest what we've all been told and believed all mm -hmm. these years. Uh, a book by Kathy Baldock called um, Walking the Bridgeless Canyon, I think it's called. Um, so in other words, finding these authors and these books, which I can give you the names of those too, if you wanted to. I'm going to link to these books. Yeah. yeah. That Matthew Vines book though, that was one of the first ones I read too. It was incredible. It was really great. I also read a couple of memoirs, Vicki Beeching, her, she has a beautiful memoir. She was a Christian music artist that came out in the middle at the height of her career as a Christian music artist. And of course, as you might imagine, was just, you know, thrown out mm -hmm. summarily out of the entire industry, but is a, a very thoughtful young woman who dove deep into her own theological journey and writes about it, mm. about coming out and, and learning to love who she is and understanding what the Bible truly says about her identity. Mm -hmm. Books were a big help for me. And then I also, I also just, you know, I went into some of the science because it's, it's a fascinating aspect that Again, in the Christian world, you you don't have any exposure to this. It's not talked about from the pulpit. It's not talked about in, in Bible studies or circles when you come around these clobber verses. Well, what does science say about homosexuality? Mm -hmm. I I learned just some fascinating things about the fact that, for example, um, there's really not a definitive way to, to explain why a person is gay. You know, there are these sort of mixture of factors that you can point to, but there's not one nature or nurture definitive answer. I found that fascinating because of course I thought again, growing up the way I did that it was, it wasn't at all about nature. It was mm. simply nurture or it was some kind of a mistake. It was my own ignorance over and over and over again just got kind of woke up as I read mm. um, about the science of it. Um, some of the interesting things I remember learning were that, for example, many scientists talk about homosexuality in the way they do um, someone who's born with red hair or left-handed. It's a human variant. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I came across things like that, I remember thinking, that is the most freeing amazing, beautiful thing I have ever read because 
never in my mind had I contextualized it that right, way. Right. Ever. Right. Um, so, so it was like you're saying, it, it was just this journey of small glimpses of truth and just eye-opening glimpses into a bigger reality. And then theologically, just taking that journey into, I believe, the heart of God, into looking at scripture, not just as those seven verses that mention the word, you know, homosexuality. And, mm-hmm. and early on, I remember thinking, you know, you'd find homosexuality listed among these vices in the New Testament, right? And I remember just looking at my 16-year-old who loved puppies and who <laughs> still slept with stuffed animals <laughs> and going, really? Like, she, that's really what she is? She's listed She's among these? She's that, yeah. You no. know, it doesn't make sense. So, studying the you know etymology and cultural context historical context and learning so much um but then taking a broader look backing up a few steps and saying what what is scripture saying as a whole about humanity about the relationship of god to human beings and what can i learn from that and of course what i saw was you know a god a creator god who created who only created what was good, who mm-hmm. only gave good gifts, who um, continued to pursue relationship with human beings, who continued to redeem and restore and heal and include and go after the margins. And in all of that, you know, and of course in Jesus of the New Testament, you see you see the heart of God personified, mm-hmm. right? And the, the way that he spoke with people, the way that he... Um, included people the way he sort of bucked up against well the law says this but i say you know and always went to this deeper place always went to the way of love a bit a higher love and so that was that was kind of for me that was sort of the last uh final i guess wall around my heart was just how do i you know how do i make sense of this theologically and in the end it was it was it was love the love of God that is just so evident in not only in scripture, but in our actual lived experience, Mm. you know? Yeah. I'm sure you've probably followed a little bit of Jen Hatmaker's story with her daughter coming out. And, you know, she talks a lot about um, just the fruit that comes Mm -hmm. from certain theological stances. And if like really bad, ugly, stinky fruit is coming from a theological stance, it's worth taking a double look at, right? Let's look at this because when a theological stance is you know, tearing families apart, causing high rates of suicide for teenagers. I mean, all of these things, it's like, whoa, let's back up here. You know, these, this is not good fruit. Yep. And that's where she said she started like going just in her spiritual journey uh, overall. She used the fruit that came from it as the template or as, you know, that's where you go to is to decide whether it's right or wrong, whether it's loving, whether it's of God. That's good. Yeah. That's so it's so good. Obviously, the obstacle with your faith is a big one. Were there other obstacles that you had, like really hard obstacles in overcoming and just really accepting your daughter as being gay? I think what, if I were to get really, really honest with you, some of that had was tied into my own dreams and expectations mm-hmm. for my own future. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Letting go, for example, I, I can remember, I write about this in the book, you know, I, I was one of those moms that had my wedding dress vacuum sealed and packed in, oh. <laughs> in a box. And 
you know, it's not so much that I don't think of myself as like a, like a helicopter parent, like I was trying to control her whole life, but there are these. And again, I feel like I didn't even recognize the strength of those dreams until they were taken away or until they were changed. Um, and so part of what I had to walk through was a letting go of my expectations for my own future to have, I, I saw my daughter with, you know, a good strong man who took care of her, who was going to be there for her. And, you know, when she was sick and when she was not able to drive to Walgreens and get her own cough medicine, he would do it for her. And, you know, all these ways that sort of, I've watched my husband just be a good man Mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. I wanted for her. Mm -hmm. And, just because I wasn't, I had not been around many gay couples and I didn't see how that works with, with monogamous gay relationships. You know, mm-hmm. I, I have since, and I, I know couples who are, have been in long term, and it's the same way. Good people are good to each other. You know, we love each other well when we know how to love, but at the time it was letting go of the dream of her walking down the aisle in my wedding dress. You know, it was Mm. that kind of stuff. Um, I love the honesty in that though. That's, I mean, that's something I think all parents are going to have to um, reconcile if their child comes out as gay. Yeah. It's like, Oh, what about my dreams for them? Um, I mean, when I moved to Nashville, my mom, I was so mad at her because she just did not seem supportive to me at all. And I thought, what is wrong with her? You know, why can't she be supportive of me moving to Nashville and following my dreams? What I realized later on was I was sort of destroying her dreams because her dreams were that I would stay in Arkadelphia, Arkansas, move down the street, get married, raise children. She could hang out with her grandkids every day. So in in my dream taking off, it was completely killing hers. Yeah. And I didn't see it at the time. Yeah. And she didn't know how, she didn't even know how to express it to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we both talked about it later and realized mm-hmm. that's what was, that's why she was having such a hard time supporting me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think all of us as parents can relate to that. I mean, whether or not, whatever it is your child decides to do that wasn't in your plans, right? Right. Uh, and that's, that's a hard one, yeah. you know? So that that was a biggie for me. And then too, just, just getting used to being around, um, like we talked about earlier, the us and them. Mm-hmm. When you're ra- like, I would imagine it would be similar to what, you know, those of us who are white, if we had never been raised in a multicultural kind of setting, being around people of different ethnicities. And it was getting used to seeing my daughter with a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. It was getting used to seeing her hold hands with a girl. It was, it, you know, in the future it will be, and I feel, I feel like there are still hurdles for me. I'm still learning. I'm still trying to open my heart and let it grow and stretch. Um, it'll be, if she so chooses, it'll be watching her marry the woman of her dreams. And um, all of that kind of like letting a new paradigm even just be built inside my whole way of my whole perspective Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. it it takes time and I've learned to be kind to myself and give myself time to get used to those things and um and also I don't have to share every reservation that with my daughter I can do I can do some of that in my own heart I can do the work on my own without having to be so 
you know, I'm struggling with this. I'm having a hard time with this. I can do that on my own or with my husband. Yes, doing the work. I think that means a lot to our loved ones that are gay when they mm-hmm. see you doing the work. I, I at first was a little scared. You know, I, I said something one time. I can't even remember what it was. I might have said, I might have been trying to say LGBTQ. And I left out a letter or something. And um, a gay friend of mine kind of snapped at me and said, figure it out, you know, learn what's going on. And my first instinct was like, well, I'm trying here. Give me a break, you know. But I realized that when we're learning things, when we're learning new things, there are going to be these these challenges in our growing. But it's worth pushing forward. And I'm grateful that I had a lot of gay friends that were really gentle with me and went, you know, your language, you know, just a language around different things so that you don't say anything that's really hurtful to them or insulting to them when you don't, don't mean to. Um, Oh, that's, I have, can I tell a funny story about that? Because language has been a huge, (laughs) huge, just kind of funny thing. And also, yeah, sometimes painful thing in our journey with our daughter. Um, my husband is a tiny bit dyslexic and so he definitely mixes up the mixed up the letters <laughs> early on and so he would it would just jumble around in his mouth and he every time he tried to get out the LGBTQ it just it came out in some other way and so then and he's a hoot so like he just decided that he was just calling the BLTs and the BLTs uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know our daughter Abby would just kind of roll her eyes like oh, you know like horrified but also pretty good humored because she knows you know her dad's just lame like that and that's how we are um but i think what you're saying is that if there's a heart behind it saying i want to figure this out Mm -hmm. that's that's everything Mm -hmm. um i will tell you and i'll be really honest with you that my daughter would prefer that i use the word queer and i'm taking tiny baby steps putting my toe in that water trying to figure out if if i can get it out of you know in in a way that doesn't feel weird for me because in my generation that was such a derogatory term right and i understand it's a kind of a reclaiming of that you know among the mm-hmm. the community mm-hmm. but like I almost feel weird saying it because it was so derogatory in my, it triggers me to a, such a negative place, but she's keeps trying to kind of school me on like, no mom, really, that's the better way. Yeah. And I get it. And so I'm, I'm working my way there, but yeah, language is an ongoing learning process right? for sure. Realize we're going to make some mistakes along the way, but it's worth pushing through. I agree, especially when you're talking about um, a group of people that has been so marginalized and misunderstood historically. It's it, it's the onus is on you to do the work, mm-hmm. not on them to do the explaining and the apologizing and the it's okay. And and it's kind of like what we've talked about this whole past summer with Black Lives Matter. And yes. the onus is on us to it is to retrain our brains to relearn what the right way is that that honors and gives full dignity and humanity to every human being. It's mm-hmm. on us. Absolutely. It's on. Christians sitting in the pews and listening to sermons about love week after week after week to actually think about what it means to love an LGBTQ person. It doesn't mean praying for them to change Mm -hmm. to your way of thinking. Mm -hmm. It means full on letting them be who they are and flourishing in whatever way that is for them, you know? 
Um, it's up to us to do that work, though. It really is. And I think that's why I'm why the book, it, the book is a scary book to write because it kind of reveals all my own ignorance and all my own learning process. But it's such, I see this kind of mighty river, you know, this mighty river of just, um, I guess, enlightenment, if you will, to this topic. And I see each of our stories as little tributaries adding to the river. Mm. And I think every story matters in this way until we get to a point where um, all LGBTQ people are honored and loved and given full um, seat at the table, if you will. I know that's an old metaphor, but it works, you know? Yeah, I, I think it's important work. I love that, that's beautiful. Hi friends, we're taking one more quick break to remind everyone that this podcast is sponsored by God and My Girlfriends Ministries, which is a nonprofit that supports women in all walks of life. Women helping women be everything God created them to be. That's our mission. We have online Bible studies and book clubs, a single mama's ministry, live events and workshops, as well as this podcast. If you'd like to support our mission or become involved with any of our programs, feel free to message us on our website, which is www.godandmygirlfriendsonline.com. Or you can find us on one of our socials, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We're everywhere. So reach out when you can and let us know how we can serve you or maybe someone that you know. And now, back to the conversation. So just a couple more questions here, Stacey. Um, how did your relationship with the church change? You know, a- after all this came out, did your um, did your relationship with your congregation change? Did your relationship with the church as a whole change? H- how, where are you with that these days? That's, it's, um, I feel like there's, yeah, it's a hard question for me right now because it's, there's a part of me that really loves the church. These are, you know, I feel like these are my people. Mm-hmm. And yet there was this, um, there have been a lot of incidents where um, since that blog post that I, I told you about that, that went viral, I've been literally uninvited from spaces to sing or to share or to do what I do. And I've had that phone call over and over where the women's ministry person of a mega church that's had me, every year for the last 10 years call and say, you know, we just, we're going to have to uninvite you from our event this year because it's come to our attention that your, you know, what your views are regarding homosexuality do not align with our churches. And, you know, at first that conversation was so horrifying and new for me that oh. I just wanted to just like disappear in a puddle. Oh, <laughs> it was the worst. And I think part of it was, um, Brene Brown talks about the power of shame and what the, the control it has over our lives. And even when it's not like reasonable shame, it's like, I, I felt shame in those conversations as though I had done something wrong. Of course. Yeah. And, and I knew, like I knew in my gut that I hadn't done anything wrong, but um, I had to sort of overcome that and realize, okay, get off those conversations as graciously as possible, but also recognizing that it's on me to continue to love that person and to not get super freaked out and angry about where they are. So it's complicated. You know, I, there are still, uh, 
probably a handful of churches that still will call me or consider me as a viable person to come and lead worship for them. But it's, it's dwindling. I mean, it used to be a network of hundreds. That was kind of my circuit year after year. If I came out with a new album or, or whatever, you know, or every Easter I'd be there or here. Mm -hmm. And, and that's pretty much dried up, you know, as I've talked about this and been it become more public. Oh, that breaks my heart. I mean, you know, you choosing to love and support your daughter has come at a cost. Yeah, it has. And from from the church. Mm-hmm. That sounds pain. That's painful. It's that's painful been a hard one. Yeah. yeah, and it's been one that's hit like very real financially. Yeah. Um, I'm learning to, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to seek out other, and, and I do, you probably know this too, Marcia, as you find those spaces online and you, you discover churches that are, are moving into this place of inclusion and affirming, I'm hoping that there is a future to continue sharing my music and my story in those places. I just haven't found a lot of those yet. And I, I it takes years to develop those networks and those contacts and, that trust it's all about trust and relationships yeah. and i feel like like you said i not for any failing on my part in my area of gifting was i cut off but rather because i chose to love my daughter right. i was cut off right and that's a hard pill to swallow right. for sure right your gifts are the same who you are is the same everything's the same but they're drawing a line uh, based on their belief system mm -hmm. that you don't fit in to anymore and so now you're you're a them i'm a them oh my gosh that's tough and at the same time there came a point where i knew i could not stand next to and worship alongside you know people who didn't share the same hopes and dreams and vision of who my daughter was mm -hmm. um that i did um, whose idea of, you know, praying for her meant praying for her to change. Like I, I knew that I couldn't stay in those places because, you know, when you agree in prayer and you kind of enter those places with that sort of spiritual trust of your brothers and sisters, it's, it's a vulnerable kind of thing where you're kind of agreeing together. Right. And I, I no longer agree together regarding my own child's, um, future and happiness and, and spirituality. And spirituality. Yeah, that they can become, yeah, that God loves her and she can love Jesus and and be exactly who she was created to be. Right. So my complication or my, my relationship with church is complicated right now. I have not found, I can tell you my husband and I have not found um, a landing spot. We were at... Um, so you did have to leave. You left the church you had well, we, been we, attending for? We didn't officially leave it. We just kind of gradually, a lot of it was me. I would travel anyway a lot. So I, the place that was home for us was more home for my husband. He, he was sort of the house bass player in the yeah. worship team. Oh. And so, um, and then it, it just got to be where we just weren't comfortable anymore. And it, it wasn't any one person or any one thing that anyone said to us and we were never asked to leave. We just stopped going because we knew, we just knew the, that, yeah, what I was just saying. Just, and again, that's some, the fruit, it's like, okay, so the fruit that comes from that theological stance is a fruit that you guys hadn't changed. You weren't different people, but it pushed you away right. from 
the church. I mean, right. there's something that's not right there. Right. And um, I'm so sorry, but same, I didn't go to church for six years. Now, I was like you, being a singer-songwriter, I was traveling on the road a lot during that season. And I was really grateful that uh, I could get from my hotel room, I could turn on and find some sort of church service to watch. Yeah. And I kind of bounced around and kept trying to find, I kept thinking, there's got to be something out there. And I am so grateful that I have found a church here in Nashville that is a welcomes all and i i'm really grateful grateful for this little church that i've started attending and i really have realized how much i missed a community mm. of believers I'm and so glad you found that yeah, and having a pastor that i can actually call which i did i like last week i was having a little bit of a faith crisis and i sent him an email and he was like come talk to me let's talk mm. this out and it's like oh i have a pastor again and wow. when Mike and I got COVID last year it's like the ladies in my Sunday school group started a meal train you know oh, they brought the casseroles yes. it's like <laughs> that's church you know it's church that's what, it's people yeah. loving people at its heart and I feel like that's we haven't had that for I'm a little so bit sorry for mm-hmm. you yeah that's tough that's really tough um so one more question I could talk to you for like another hour if you could do it all over again is there one thing you would change about your response to your daughters coming out? Like for someone that maybe is facing this now with their right. child or um, can you maybe give them some insight there? Yeah, I, I think I would um, kind of like I hinted at earlier. I think that whatever internal work I, I needed to do, I think I would get to a good affirming kind of place with her in my relationship and and not verbalize as much of my own struggle so that because I think what we need to understand as parents is that our kids have gone through so much trauma just to even come out to us Mm. to even tell us oh wow yeah and so for there to be any wrinkle in that process on our part for us to to put up any kind of is deeply traumatic for them and while in the moment I think I did the right thing certainly over time she saw me struggling she saw she observed and felt my resistance and reticence and conflict and yes we have to be human but can we do that in spaces that are safe and apart from our kids seeing that I think more so yes um find safe people quickly to vent with and to talk through this with get to these books that dive deep into the theology so that you're not wrestling with that for so long um yeah i I think that's that's where i feel some of that sense of remorse is just that she had to see me struggle with some of this in in a way that because you know a lot of kids don't come out till they go away to college Mm. or they go away Mm -hmm. she came out while she was still home for a good another three years and so we kind of had to work through the hard stuff together you know well you talk so much about that in this book and i cannot recommend it enough i think it's absolutely fantastic i think it's going to be a lifeline for some Mm -hmm. other parents out there for some children out there, I think it's going to give everyone tools to work through this. This is God's work, what you mm. just did in this book. It is God's work, and I believe you and your family are just going to be 
protected over this. And I'll pray for that too, because it's, you know, I can tell this wasn't easy. This was a process for you. And I'm so grateful that you followed um, God's nudge to do this. Is there anything else that you have that we didn't cover today that any other thing that you want to say to a parent out there that might be listening, that maybe their child just came out? Yeah, I do. I want to mention a couple of online resources that you can get to immediately. Okay. Um, One is called Freed Hearts. It's one word, freedhearts.org. It's a husband and wife in Southern California, Susan Cottrell. She's done some TED Talks and other things, has written two or three books. They are they are, they have just tons of resources for parents to plug into right away. They can get connected to a small group. They can get connected to some resources, some just, yeah, they're fantastic. Awesome. Freedhearts.org. And then also there's an organization, there's a Facebook moms group called Mama Bears. And, oh, I love that title. Um, and that's all. And the, it's kind of, it's grown like exponentially grown in the last couple of years, but it, it, it's basically moms of anyone on that whole LGBTQ spectrum and it's moms supporting moms and just kind of bragging on their kids in the, in it's a private Facebook group where you can feel safe to talk about your questions. You can feel safe to post a picture of your son who's taking your, a boy to the prom (laughs) and be proud (laughs) and be proud of it. So it's, those are both two really precious, um, resources that a mom or dad could plug into right now. That's so fantastic. This is going to be so helpful. Thank you, Stacey. I'm so glad that you are here. I'm so glad that you're willing to share your story and that your family is willing to share their stories because I always say I think we learn best from each other. Like we can do all the work in the world, but actually hearing someone's story, that's how we connect. That I think that reaches people the best. And I so, love that. Thank um, you. Thank you for having me. All right. Thanks again. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye. Well, that was a little bit of an awkward ending. I don't know why I said have a great day and waved at her from across the dining room table. I, I literally did that. Oh, goodness. I'm still learning. This is new to me, but I'm learning. Uh, so thank you guys. Like I said, it was a little bit longer show today, but I think you'll see why it was worthy of the time, of our time, of your time. So thanks for being here. Thanks to Stacy, And I will definitely link to all those resources that Stacy mentioned in the show. I'll link that in our show notes so you can find that easily. And if you haven't rated and reviewed our podcast yet, please go do that. That helps us tremendously trying to get this little podcast off the ground. So if you find us valuable, just take a couple of minutes. It's really easy to do and we would really appreciate it. Okay, that's it for for now. Uh, We hope to see you back here next Monday on the God of My Girlfriends podcast. 